Good morning, everybody. This is Jane Cormier, your host here on Artful Living on WKXL, New Hampshire Talk Radio.com, WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM Concord, and of course, 101.9 FM in Manchester. And just a reminder to everybody, if there is a, a, a show that you have missed here on Artful Living or on any program here on WKXL, you can always catch all of that programming on NewHampshireTalkRadio.com on your time. So don't miss any of our programs. You know that we do good stuff here at Artful Living. And with that little segue, we have a very special guest today, Andrew Pennard from Hatbox Theater here in Concord, New Hampshire. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you for having me. So... In our discussions a little bit before we we rolled here on the air, you told me that you are founder and artistic director of Hatbox Theater. For any of our listeners out there who might not be familiar with Hatbox, why don't you just give us a little intro? Sure. Hatbox Theater is a small, locally produced uh, theater space. We have 100 seats, uh, but we have variable seating configurations. We are what I like to call a cooperative theater space. We're made up of a group of producers that come together to create a season, and Hatbox Theater uh, as an organization provides the space and provides logistical support, both in technical support, in maintaining the venue, but also in helping to publicize shows, provide box office uh, infrastructure, and all of that as well. Wow, awesome. So you're spending, you're really putting a lot of your um, efforts into being the venue for these for these organizations or uh, shows? Yeah, I like to say that we produce the venue. We don't produce the shows. We don't try to compete with our sure. producers, local producers. Uh, that said, we have produced one show every year, and that's A Christmas Carol, which is an oh. original ad- adaptation that my wife wrote. And we've had uh, four or five different directors now each take their hand at uh, various uh, versions of the show. And oh, we'll be cool. having that again this year. Yeah, I would think that there's nothing wrong with that. Having your own show and in, in your own theater space, that sounds pretty decent. Yeah, we, we really try to uh, encourage and provide a space that uh, people want to play in. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, our main focus as a venue uh, is to create the space where uh, audiences and artists can explore the human experience through story. Mm-hmm. And so we really, uh, it, it's a rather unique space. It's There are very few uh, very kind of intimate theater spaces, you know, in our venue, you're not sitting more than four seats from the front row anywhere in the space. And we have a variety of configurations that we can have with the seating in the space. Very cool. So, yeah. Very cool. So I'm sure directors love that. You they can... do. They like the fact that they can really explore, you know, shows that you would normally see in a big space, in mm-hmm. a small space, and in different ways. One of my favorite things to do is uh, when we have musicals in the space, uh, we uh, we lean pretty heavily. While we don't, I, I try not to put my thumb on the creative scale, so mm-hmm. to speak. Um, one of the things that I really encourage when we have musicals in the space is to avoid amplification Yay! of the human voice <laughs> whatsoever. So we are one of very few rare spaces in the state that you can hear unamplified unamplified oh. human voices or unprocessed human voices. Indeed. I, I am so, so supportive of that. It is something that we've kind of lost even in the training of our young performers. I mean, in the old days, you know, the, the days of my youth, when we were studying, you studied to fill the house, right? Vocally and diction and using everything that you had as a performer. Um, today, because everything is amplified, you go to Broadway, absolutely you are amplified. You know, even there are some that say even in opera houses that's happening because the technology has become so great that you can't necessarily detect it. But you know what? There is something about the ambiance 
of the human voice. Oh, I, I agree 100%. I mean, my degree is in music. Um, I was a singer. And again, we learned how to fill the, sa- the space with mm. our sound, with breath support and proper projection and diction and yeah. enunciation. And uh, I actually got to attend a performance by Raylan Moore Opera mm-hmm. uh, down in Jaffrey recently. And it was so great to see a 13-piece, you know, a chamber orchestra mm-hmm. with, you know, five singers with no amplification. Yes. So it does happen in the state. There are a few places. But I know that amplification is also a factor of what the audience experience or expectation is. And a lot of people, you know, you and I are sitting here right now with headphones on. Mm -hmm. And so we have this kind of real intimate sensation of sound Mm -hmm. that people are used to when they're listening to their phones or they're listening to their TVs at home. And so when they come and see live performance, there's kind of this expectation that you have to ramp up performance to meet the spectacle aspect of course. Aspects you have to it. almost, quote, feel it, is oh, what they say. definitely. <laughs> and, and, you know, one of my big, the big flaws of uh, amplification of the human voice in a large space is I will often go see shows in a proscenium space and not know who's speaking yeah. right away because the sound is coming from right. the speakers. It's not coming from the stage. And so occasionally, if the staging is not well thought out, right. you know, you you ha- it may take you a minute to focus, and, and yeah. that takes you out of the experience. Totally. I mean, at that point, you're fighting it almost, you know, trying to get your brain to allocate who's saying what, where. Right. I remember when um, when I was a youngin and, and studying to be an opera singer, and I started to go to live performances, because up until that point, it was the old record, right? Or, or maybe a CD. I don't even remember if those were wrong when I was that. Who knows? Anyway, um, I remember having to readjust quite a bit in the opera house because the actual performance was not as evenly distributed sound, sound wise with what you would hear on a recording and it took my brain a few times of going to adjust everything not necessarily down in a bad way but the volume you know you hear Pavarotti on the on the uh, the recordings and you're going holy moly and then you hear Pavarotti in the house and it's him but the dimension of the sound has changed. And your brain has to sort of rewire to, to do that. Well, and that's what's fun about attending lots of different performance spaces mm-hmm. is you get an opportunity, especially if you're seeing either the same show or the same artist, you have the opportunity to kind of uh, appreciate the unique nature, acoustic nature right. of each space. Right. So, you know, we, you know, at Hatbox, we, are, uh, we have a really interesting space in that there's kind of this arch that is above the stage that directs out to the main Good. bank of seats. And in some places, like we can be behind the wall and still hear clear sound because the arch is direct. Yeah. the sound. But, you know, it, again, it takes a lot for some of our artists to come in and they want to just, they want to project sound and they want to put mics in the uh, in the musicians, uh, in the singers, but then they have to mic the band. And so you, it's like this race to be loud. Yeah, yeah. And there is not a lot of subtlety. Whereas, you know, you get a good performer on a microphone, especially not a, a headset, but, you know, something that's yeah. in front of them, they can move closer right. and further away and, and have it affect the uh, experience. But again, at Hatbox, we try to avoid that. Yeah. And so uh, unless there's a real reason for it from the context of the performance, we try to get away from that. And in fact, the speakers that we use for filling the house with ambient sound during stage plays, we actually flip around and they become monitors for on stage. So the only oh, amplification cool. is really of the band being fed over the, and usually only the keyboard, right. uh, over the stage so that the actors, the singers can hear, can hear yeah. that and then balance and blend themselves. So sure. we don't generally 
apparently have a sound op yeah. who is there trying to wa- ride it. So that's that's good. I like that. To it's me, a, you know, that's that's the way it should be, kind of. And it's a fun experience <laughs> for performers who aren't used to that. They're used sure. to being strapped on and then at the mercy of the sound engineer. Yeah, good performing always comes from different experiences when the actor can get used to something different and another aspect pops out if they're a good performer. You know, if they're strong, you see a whole different dimension out of the necessity of, you know, the situation. Right. That's huge. Yeah, no, we, we've been very fortunate. I mean, we opened in 2016 at the Steeplegate Mall. And I say at the Steeplegate Mall because we're not in the Steeplegate Mall. We have our own separate entrance. And since then, we've had almost 35,000 people in the space. Um, and, you know, it's only 100 seats. So that's a lot of that's shows. Good. I mean, good we've had you. hundreds of performances, um, well over 100 different shows in the space. So, wow. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been pretty remarkable. And we've been uh, very fortunate to be a space in demand. We have producers who really want to come up and work in the venue. And, you know, we, people don't rent the venue. A lot, every once in a while I get a call, somebody says, can we rent the space to come and do a show? And I'm like, nope, because we don't do that. Uh, once a year, we hold a pitch night. And uh-huh. at that pitch night, people come forward with a two-minute presentation of what shows they'd like to be on our next season. And we have an online process where they go through a Google form and they can select the dates or the time slots that they'd like to participate in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we send it off to a team and the team reviews and reads all the pieces, listens to the music, sits down and debates uh, what would make a good balanced composition for the season. Uh, and then we schedule it in, tr- you know, trying to give first priority to the shows that we most want to see on our season uh, into their preferred slots. But mm-hmm. it's a game of, uh, well, it's a, I guess it's a jigsaw puzzle, not Jenga. Jenga, right. you knock the blocks out and everything yeah, falls yeah. down. <laughs> but in this circumstance, it's trying to put it all together. And most seasons we have between 18 and 20 main stage shows. They run for three, two or three week runs. We have shows every Friday and Saturday at 730, wow. Sundays it too. So wow. we've been doing that and uh, fairly successfully minus the grand hiatus that yes. we all experience to greater and lesser degrees. Yeah, that's that's really a creative way of putting it uh, for sure. Uh, we're going to take a little break here on Art for Living. Jane Comier, your host, WKXL 1450 AM, 103.9 FM Concord and 101.9 FM in Manchester. We have Andrew Pennard of Hatbox Theatre here with, as our guest. Just hang on because we're coming right back on the other side. Welcome back to Art for Living. Jane Comier here, your host, WKXL, New Hampshire Talk Radio, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM Concord, and 101.9 FM in Manchester. And we have a guest today, Andrew Pennard, who is founder and artistic director at the Hatbox Theater right here in Concord on Loudon Road. And uh, he was sort of giving us an overview in the first segment. Uh, lots of great information, stuff that I really didn't even know specifically about Hatbox Theater. So we're happy to have you here today. Uh, when we left our last segment, you started to, you, you talked about the great hiatus, a really creative way of saying um, COVID, what COVID did to the performing arts. And I think just now are starting to really step out of the hole that was created by that. How did you handle all of that when that happened? 
Well, uh, we had a show on uh, March 15th or 16th and uh, when it was announced that all the venues had to close. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we closed and we had a number of, we had no idea how long that was going to be yeah. for. We kept being hopeful that we would be able to open in a month or two. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's hard when you stop a train, you know, quickly and right. then you let it sit on the tracks for a while. It takes a little bit to get rolling again. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I shifted gears. You know, lots of people were we're able to work from home. You know, I'm a full-time performer. Uh, Hatbox is kind of, uh, well, it's a, you know, it's, it's a business. I don't really uh, draw any money from it. So it's not like it's, I get paid to work it. This mm-hmm. is a volunteer thing for mm-hmm. me and for um, pretty much everybody who works there. Um, the, uh, during the hiatus, I basically shifted gears and, uh, you know, contacted a friend of mine at the Winnipesaukee Playhouse and contacted the uh, director of the State Arts Council and said, look, we need to get some people together talking about uh, how we're going to reopen because I had noticed that when the executive, uh, the governor's task force on reopening, you know, we had lots of industry associations who already had plans on how they were going to reopen and how they could do it safely. And, mm-hmm. and you know, because it was important. You've got to have revenue coming in because yep. your expenses don't go away just because no you're shut down. Yes. So um, I did. I uh, We got together and pulled together a group that we called the Loose Coalition of Performing Arts Organizations. We leveraged the governor's office uh, for funding. Uh, Thankfully, uh, the governor was very supportive of uh, providing funding for the producing arts organizations who were closed and self-employed people who were performers who were closed. Mm -hmm. And so I'm grateful to say that, you know, I helped pen a letter to the governor uh, that had uh, signatures from almost 100 uh, performing arts organizations in the state. Mm -hmm. And uh, that uh, went a long way to doing that. And then my game got up to the federal level where we were lobbying to try to make sure that we got federal funding to be able to cover that. And gratefully, uh, we did receive funding, and the hope was that that funding would cover our losses during a period of time, 18 months or so. Um, There are still performing arts organizations that, well, first off, there are performing arts organizations that have closed and have not reopened. There are lots of people who have left the industry because, you know, they couldn't make a living, and yet there were uh, we were in a circumstance where there was a, a job market that with positions that still needed to be filled. Mm-hmm. So lots of people who worked in the performing arts went and got day jobs, yes. real jobs. And then when the when we reopened, we not all of them came back. That's right. So we're all, uh, you know, I think some of the performing arts organizations are doing better than others. Those who are presenting houses, those groups that bring in touring artists, particularly marquee style acts, mm-hmm. people that are nationally known, they're actually doing very well. In yep. fact, some of them are doing better than they were before the pandemic. Wow, better, huh? Yeah, oh, definitely. Um, but a lot of us, you know, the smaller houses, the producing houses in New Hampshire yes. are still struggling. You yeah. know, we're trying to find workers. We're trying to find uh, acts that will sell enough seats to make it worthwhile. Mm-hmm. And, you know, each organization has to decide for themselves how to adapt. Okay. Um, and there's a lot of different stuff going on out there, very creative stuff that different organizations are doing, um, sometimes changing up what they would offer what they would normally offer to try to bring in new people into their organizations. So some, for instance, opera companies, very, very few opera companies this summer. Yeah. For the first time I've ever seen. Yeah, I'm, I'm grateful. You know, I, I was uh, working as an executive director of an opera house on the western part of the state. Um, I actually took a job. I was recruited to apply for that position. I've since left it to go back to performing full time. What, what house was it? Uh, that was at the Claremont Opera House. Ah. I was there from January 1st, uh, 
slightly before that, but January 1st of 2021 Mm -hmm. through February of this year. And it was a great experience. We more than doubled uh, the programming, almost tripled the programming over the course of the years, but we struggled like every other organization to build uh, new audiences and to kind of expand beyond what we did and, you know, and do it on a shoestring budget. Absolutely. So. so so the opera houses that I was talking about wasn't necessarily the the presentation houses like Claremont. I'm talking about companies. Right. Um, for the summers was the big time that young singers can go in there and get their, right. cut their teeth, right, performing opera. Well, and I got to volunteer last summer uh, with Opera North. And yes. so I got to, uh, I, I was uh, an usher and mm-hmm. I, you know, helped with traffic control and whatnot. <laughs> and so it was really great for me to see that they're doing very well. They um, are, but th- now the, how have they, in, in what we were talking about, managing the companies and being creative with regard to what hole uh, was left with the COVID, they're only doing one opera. And yeah. they're doing other programming, like 70s, uh, a 70s disco thing, uh, um, uh, uh, sort of like a calca- I think they call it cal- calcavade or cal- cal- calvocade, 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 which is a circus type event yes. uh, with aerialists yes. and singers. Yeah, there's so definitely. So they're being creative. Well, they have to be. I mean, and this is prior to the pandemic. Every yeah. organization has to be creative. If you're oh, not yeah. constantly reinventing yourself and yep. building new audiences, you're you're not growing, you're dying. Absolutely. And so I, I think that what really came to the forefront was that a certain type of audience that most of the producing houses and presenting houses relied on, which was heavily uh, older audiences mm-hmm. with a lot of discretionary income, they didn't return, yeah. you know, and they, they found it was comfortable to watch their programming at home on a yeah. big screen TV. Several companies did very creative work in terms of doing streaming type of programming, sure. uh, and that worked well for some, although most of them are not doing it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a few that are still doing that from a, a hybrid perspective, right? but it requires more resources to begin with. Oh, yeah. And the performing arts, we've always kind of, you know, regardless of uh, how big your budget is, we're all stretched thin. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we try to do as much as we can with as little as possible. And this really uh, kind of revealed the challenges each organization has to face and how they will uh, move forward in the future. Right. It certainly amplified what what needed to be looked at because it made you be creative or you were not going to come back. Well, we were pretty fortunate at Hatbox in some ways because, again, we did receive funding. Um, although as a performer myself, I received funding, but because of the way the applications worked, you had to declare ancillary businesses. So Hatbox Theater <laughs> was an ancillary business, and ah. therefore they gave me funding, but I put all of the funding that should have come to me as an artist directly into Hatbox. Did, so, yeah. you know, I've con- we've contributed a lot as a family to Hatbox over the years, but we, again, we've been matched by producers and local um, supporters who really want to come out and make sure that we can continue to offer kind of the blend of experience. Sure, we need to support community theater. I mean, what happens? Your your identities in so many ways, artistically and creatively, and bringing that as a social community event lies in the hands of these small groups that are perpetuating the the art form. This is very important to support them. Well, and for us, I mean, we're not like pretty much any other uh, community theater in the state in that we're not producing all of the shows. So you have the Community Players of Concord, which Mm -hmm. does, you know, their adult shows, and then they have a youth program series that they do as well. But they cover all of the costs. They cover all of the production. uh, They staff all of the production, and they keep all of the revenue. Mm -hmm. And Hatbox's business model from the start has been a revenue share base. So if groups are selected 
to be on the season, they're responsible for the budget associated with the creative aspects of their production, which we try to support with having stock scenery and we have Great. light, you know, very high quality lighting in the space, digital lighting, digital sound, um, projections in the space and things of that nature. So they can do a lot with less. Um, but, you know, they get the lion's share of the revenue. So sure. the revenue comes in and we take out a percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's uh, they get a majority of the funds that come in after we share the ticket fees. We have mm-hmm. to pay the ticket fees and that's the generally the one thing that gets shared. And then we do a revenue split of 55-45. So Good. the production companies don't, they can be riskier in their choice of material because they know yeah. that they don't have a $1,500 rental bill for the week coming up. Yeah. And the fact that they have three weeks in the space and sometimes might have five weeks in the space, depending on the programming that's before them, they might be able to load in two weeks before the space, contrary to most community yes. theaters who can load in four days before they open. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there's we work really hard to try to make it easy to work at Hatbox. Um, we do ask a lot from them. They have to provide their posters, uh, you know, their creative elements of that. They have to provide a you know, a, a press release that, you know, accurately sure. represents their production. But then we take that and we run with it. We well, try to promote those. And that's not asking too much. I mean, they're, they're an organization that's promoting a, a product that they're giving to the community. It would make sense to me that that's pretty normal stuff to produce. Well, you know? and we, it is, but we also have a wide variety of groups who are using the space. We have new organizations that don't quite know all of the process and don't quite, you know, we go through a producer orientation where people are walked through the process wow. and then we give them, you know, forms that help support what they're doing. But oh, that's great. it always takes a little handhold. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, we're going to take a little break here. Art for Living, Jane Cormier, your host, WKXL. 1450 AM, 103.9 FM Concord, and 101.9 FM in Manchester. Our guest today, Andrew Pennard of the Hatbox Theater. And we will come back. Hang tight. Welcome back to Art for Living. Jane Comier, your host here on WKXL, NewHampshireTalkRadio.com. We are 1450 AM, 103.9 FM Concord, and 101.9 FM in Manchester. And if you are just joining us, our guest today is Andrew Pennard, who is Founder Artistic Director of the Hatbox Theater in Concord. And our first couple of segments, we were talking about sort of like an introduction, and then we got talking about, uh, well, we talked a little bit about the COVID uh, hiatus that happened and how Hatbox was able to handle all of that. Um, You know, I do have a question. Why don't you tell us a little bit of how Hatbox Theater came together here in Concord, how and why? Well, I... I appreciate you asking. Uh, I have always wanted to open a theater. I taught high school theater at Pembroke Academy years ago, uh, and I did local theater. I had my first theater company, and some of our first shows were here in Concord at the Anna Carrico Music Mm -hmm. Theater, which was a wonderful little 150-seat, 125-150-seat to venue, which was available for this type of work, kind of intimate, up close, and, you know, pieces that, you know, might not have fit in the 875-seat Audi kind of a thing. So, and I was making my living as a full-time performer, as a magician. I still do that. Um, I perform a historic show. I perform vaudeville-style shows and things of that nature. But I always loved the smaller spaces. And I directed a couple of productions for the Junior Service League that happened at the Anna Carrico here in Concord. And, you know, my wife is from Concord. My in-laws are from Concord. And my parents moved up from Derry to Epsom. And so I did a bunch of theater in the area. Uh, so, you know, when it... I've 
uh, I've always been a scrounger. My dad taught us uh, very young. You know, we'd be driving down the road with him and we see something on the side of the road that looks like it's got some value to it that somebody's <laughs> giving away. You always stop and you mm-hmm. always try to pick stuff up. So over the course of 25 years, I collected pieces for the theater that I in my head was eventually going cool. to open okay. and it didn't really you know it, it was mostly a dream but uh back sometime around 2014 i had some of my former theater students one in particular who we would occasionally drive around the state and just look for vacant buildings that could be turned into a theater uh and so we kind of kept centering around concord uh we looked at you know venues as far west um as the well, kind of uh Hollis in that next, you know, south and west. We looked as far east as um, a castle uh, overlooking Alton Bay that we considered uh, doing something there. But, you know, the Steeplegate Mall had started to vacant, you know, started to show some vacant spaces. And I thought, you know, it ticks all the the check boxes. It's got uh, fire suppression systems. It has sprinklers. It has handicap accessibility. It has restrooms. It has air conditioning and has great parking. So we looked around and we, we talked with a number of places. And then finally, um, I was running a media makers group here in Concord that met once a month. And uh, one of the other members who was uh, working locally, uh, Kevin Barrett, uh, the student who had driven around with me was Matt Potter. Um, But Kevin, Matt, and I kind of came together and pushed. And finally, I signed a lease in March of 2016. We were originally supposed to be in a small 1,200 square foot space inside the mall. Um, but then that was right about the time when the mall was changing ownership mm-hmm. um, and they were getting rid of the 24-7 security. Originally, the security person would be there when shows closed after the mall had closed okay. to make sure that people could get out of the building. And uh, when the ownership was going to be handed over, they decided they weren't going to have 24-7 security and we were going to have to pay for extra security every show that we did. And they encouraged us to look at this other space, uh, which was formerly the Coldwater Creek. And that was a a situation that really, you know, was far better than we ever expected. We went from Mm. 1,200 square feet to 4,500 square feet. And we walked through the space. I want to say it was like March 6th or March 9th. We walked through the space and uh, we signed the paperwork on March 11th and we opened our first show April 1st. So we had been working on this for a year and a half. And in fact, the theatrical seating, I was on the school board for Kearsarge Regional High School and I had helped redesign their high school auditorium. And the school board decided to buy new theater seats and to get rid of the seats that were there, which were only 17 years old. And so as a, again, as a lifelong scrounger, uh, (laughs) I knew it would cost money for the school to dispose of them. So we took enough for uh, this space, 75. I found 75 to 100. Uh, I found three other venues that were looking for seating, and they got... Awesome. Virtually new seating for free that they had to just come pick up and store it. Now, unfortunately, two of those venues have since closed, and I actually have gotten most of those seats back uh, from them, so we have spare seats. We are actually going to open a second venue at the mall before the pandemic, a smaller venue for for comedy and improv and things of that nature. But but right now, Hatbox has those seats, and then the other venue that has them is Next Stage Arts in Putney, Vermont. So they took a bunch of the seats, and you can sit in some of the same seats that we have at Hatbox over in Putney, Vermont. (laughs) 
<laughs> Little do they know, right? <laughs> yeah, and and I've like I said, this is these are probably the third set of seats from a three different venues that I've owned over the years. Um, I did a lot of my early work when I was in high school with the Pittsfield Players, yeah. and I ended up with uh, their excess of seats from the Cinema 93 when Cinema 93 here in Concord shut down. Wow! Uh, so I ended up with a bunch of those seats, and then I ended up donating those to M&D Productions up in Conway, Wonderful. Uh, which were in those space. And I also have some of the original theater seats from the Grand Army Republic Hall that was the scenic theater before the Cinema 93 wow, seats went in. Really? So I still actually have some of those seats in my pocket. My goodness. So having all the pieces, you get to a point where, like I got to a point literally where I had one of our bays of our garage filled with theater seats. And it was, uh, my wife was like, winter's coming. Yes. And uh, you got to <laughs> find something to do with them or get rid of them. So yeah. we opened a theater. There you go. And it had been the plan all along. But it really took uh, me, because as a performer, I've been blessed to perform in over a thousand venues over the years. And, you know, every venue I learn something from. You mm -hmm. know, you walk out on stage, you look at the characteristics of the space, and you go, what what works for me as an artist? What works for the audience mm -hmm. experiencing it? And I always loved the smaller venues. Yeah. So it always kind of – it felt natural to go this way. And I had performed – uh, weekly, twice a week, actually, at Newick Seafood Restaurant down in Merrimack uh, back when they had a 550-seat restaurant. And on a Friday night, they'd have turnover of two or three times. So they might wow. have 1,500 people in the Amazing. restaurant. And the problem is, is that the restaurant market exploded, and we ended up with lots of, theater, of restaurants competing with one another. And if you'll notice, over the last 20 years or so, restaurants, new restaurants, hardly ever have more than 125 to 150 seats, because mm -hmm. it's too hard to maintain yeah. that much food for that many people. Of course. It's better to run lean and turn people away than it is to do that. Do so much, yeah. the experience has changed in restaurants. It has changed in sporting events. There's lots of venues that are catering to smaller yes. venues. And in the in New Hampshire, particularly in Concord, when I announced this, I went to the Chamber of Commerce. I went to the Creative Concord uh, meeting, a subcommittee on creative works here. And I announced that we were going to be opening a venue here in Concord. And the uh, executive director of the time at the Capital Center for the Arts was like, you know, when it came around to her, uh, she was like, oh, well, uh, we're going to be opening a space, too. And so she kind of announced the Bank of New Hampshire stage before the Bank of New Hampshire stage existed. Wow. They were originally going to open in another space. I um, see. Masonic Hall, I yes, think. Yes, I think so. I remember that, yeah. But, uh, you know, I think that in lots of ways, Hatbox, when, when she said that, I said, great, if you get your space open first, we'll stop. And you mm -hmm. can, you know, we'll send all of our producers over there. And I think in lots of ways, we helped free up the and allowed them to refine their vision of what sure. they were going to do to create the space that they have now, which is a wonderful space. Yes. Not necessarily for the purposes of our needs for theater. There's not really any mm -hmm. wing space or backstage space, right. but it's a concert venue That's or right. a mixed use. It's a great space. Yeah, yeah. Um, you That's know, and right. I, I love, I have many good friends working at the Capital Center for the Arts, and I really love to support all the work that yes, they do there. Yes, absolutely. It's a great. Um, great addition here in downtown Concord. Everything that they do there, and we had uh, Sal here a few weeks ago, and, and he's a real house. You know, he's a he's a he, just such an energy level on that man is amazing. Yeah, Sal's great. We, we serve on the Arts for NH board together um, and it was you know great having Sal move to here. He brought a new energy to uh -huh. and a new approach to the space, which I think is really Good. great. Yeah, absolutely. Well, like you said, um, the Hatbox is a very different type of venue and it's, it's solidly uh, supporting a smaller venue, which many, I'll tell you what, many performers do prefer that than the big, you know, huge stage, you know, 
kit and audience proscenium setup, um, it does offer the performer a little bit more space, I think, even though the physical space is smaller, I think it allows you more space to relax into your performance. Well, the other thing that we try to do, <clears throat> most community theaters run a, a weekend, mm-hmm. maybe, of shows. So these performers rehearse for two months, and they get to do the show three times. Yeah. Um, and I like to think of it, you know, you, you the adrenaline is running the first night, so you don't know what you've done. But, you know, people enjoy it partly because of the energy and partly because of seeing something new. And then the second night, there's that second night slump where people, the energy is like, yay, we survived it. Uh, and then yeah. you go out and you start going, you start seeing the work that mm-hmm. you've done and you start to improve it. And by the third show, you're like, oh, I think I can start leaning on in on this and making it work. Right. And the frustration of that is you put so much time and energy into just getting there yeah. that you don't have any opportunity to play. I know. And so we spend often three weeks, you know, for shows in residency. And that way people really get to inhabit the roles for yes. a length of time. And they learn so much more when you get to do it again and again. It's true. Absolutely. All right. This is Jane Cormier, your host of Art for Living here on WKXL, New Hampshire Talk Radio.com, WKXL 1450 AM, 103.9 FM Concord, and 101.9 FM in Manchester. So you just hang on. We're coming right back and we're going to continue our discussion with Andrew Pennard of Hatbox Theater. Back to Art for Living here on WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM Concord, and 101.9 FM in Manchester. Jane Cormier here, your host. And uh, Art for Living has Andrew Pernard here as our guest. We've enjoyed our last three segments of conversation talking about Hatbox Theater and how and why it started and uh, how they've been managing. And this last segment, I would love to um, speak with you, Andrew, about what's coming up. What do our folks need to look for coming up with Hatbox performances? Well, sure. We have a lot of really cool stuff coming up this summer. We have also announced our next season, which runs from September through August of 2024. Wow, so we have a lot of things coming up, uh, and there may be some exciting news uh, happening at the Steeplegate Mall. We're waiting to hear about that. Um, I don't have anything I can share today, Aww. but it may have some impact You're on our... You're teasing us. Well, I, I wish I knew enough to <laughs> properly be teasing you, but no, we have uh, a number of summers have become about musicals at Hatbox Theater. Mm-hmm. So uh, this summer we have uh, two big musicals coming up. The musical Cabaret actually is coming up very shortly. It opens July 7th and runs through the 16th. And then we have Big Fish, the musical, coming up July 21st. Mm-hmm through the 30th. Musicals are uh, a different type of animal because they have larger production costs associated with them. So they often only run two weekends. And oftentimes we try to run four shows a week for those instead of the the uh, three shows a week. But these are each only doing three shows a week. So we have very limited tickets for the run of six shows for Cabaret and Big Fish. Then we have... Uh, the play Educating Rita coming up by Creative Ambitions Performance Studio. Uh, We were supposed to run another play uh, during that slot, but they've uh, had some difficulty with the rights recently. Uh So this is a a recent addition. If you look at our season program, you'll notice that uh, another play was advertised, but Educating Rita will be happening. And we have the original play Masked by Glenn Kosker. Uh, Glenn and his wife Tracy run Creative Ambitions Performance Studio, and they ran a production of Vanities uh, back in 
in March, uh, and we're excited to have them do some work with us here in August. But, you know, our fall, we have a lot of really exciting and in some ways slightly darker pieces. We have uh, Stage Struck, which is a play coming up in September about a stage manager who learns how to murder people because it's a play that they're working on and then maybe (laughs) takes it a step too far. Um, We have Hand to God. We have the musical Lizzie based on, yes, Lizzie Borden. No. uh, Coming up in October, which we're excited by. What are they going to sing about in that piece? I have no idea. (laughs) I have no idea. But we have Man on the Hill, which is an original musical from a regional, uh, from a Laconia-based artist. Mm. Uh, We have Christmas Carol coming, and then we have a whole bunch of shows in the spring, including uh, Night Mother, classic play, House of Blue Leaves. Uh, uh, We have a a review show of Tom Lehrer's music. So if you like the slightly quirky and dark music that is Tom Lehrer, that's going to be coming. Mm. A lot of fun. Trail to Oregon, based on the game. Uh, It's a very uh, robust and uh, ribald performance uh, coming up by uh, actress Coop Theater, who is the ones doing Cabaret. And if you've come to shows before, you might have seen their version of Twisted uh, last season, which was based on the Disney film of yeah. Aladdin, but with the idea that Jafar was the actually the hero of the story. He was misunderstood. <laughs> so they like to explore some interesting and dark stuff. And then next summer, I mean, we've got other stuff coming. We have uh, Heather's the Musical, an original adaptation of Alice in the Looking Glass. We have uh, Opening Night Mutiny, a fiasco in two acts, Cruel Intentions, the 90s wow. musical, The Last Gumshoe, which is a kind of a noir play by a local playwright. Uh, and so we have a whole bunch of things that we have planned. Uh, So we're excited. We're hoping to uh, continue to expand what we're doing at Hatbox Theater at the venue. Although, again, there are some interesting times afoot uh, with the Steeplegate Mall. As people know, there's lots of things in Concord being developed in lots of different locations. So I like to remind people that uh, arts, uh, particularly the performing arts in the theater, are all about artists and audience. And they can be anywhere to do great work and to experience things. We've built amazing things, amazing opportunities and resources in the space we have. If uh, we are always on the lookout to see where we might be able to continue to grow, uh, so there might be an opportunity for us to uh, relocate and do things even better than we currently provide. But we're kind of keeping it all in stride, and uh, sure. we're optimistic about our future. Well, it sounds like you're certainly busy and, and you know, going fine there with with regard to variety of shows and you know filling out the season absolutely so the july show cabaret um i was just looking i pulled it up here we have 7.30 curtains on Friday and Saturday, and then a 2 o'clock matinee on Sunday. All of our shows are hat box. Our Fridays and Saturdays is 7.30 and Sundays at 2. Perfect. There will be, uh, there's likely to be partial nudity in the show. It is set in a cabaret during the Weimar Republic, ah. which, uh, so I would not bring your 12-year-old to this show. Um, okay. It is a, you know, a lot of people remember cabaret as, oh, it's all money, 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 and it's all sure. fun show stuff. There are some very dark and deep themes being explored here mm-hmm. that are very relevant today. Totally. Um, but we're really excited to have that group back in the space. And Big Fish is kind of like a, um, well, it's about dreaming. It's about, you know, what is uh, reality and what is, uh, you know, what are your stories and mm-hmm. reconciling the two. Big Fish is the story of a son reconciling uh, the death of his father and trying to figure out how much of his 
tall tales are true. You know, the big right. fish in the story refers to, you know, that I caught a really big fish. It was this big, but it was really right. that big. Oh, yeah. And so it really, it's a lovely, wonderful piece. Uh, based, it was a movie first um, with Albert Finney, uh, and the musical is lovely, and it just, it, oh. Musicals are best, I think. My, <laughs> this is admittedly biased, but I <laughs> gauge the success of any show in our space on whether or not it makes me cry. Yeah. That doesn't mean it has to be a cry of a sad yeah, sort. Yeah, it can be an exalted type of cry, a cathartic cry, mm-hmm. a kind of a transcendent cry. But I love to – I mean, one of the greatest joys that I have in producing a venue is to kind of sit back. And I don't see their rehearsals. You know, they show up. I facilitate on load-ins and whatnot. And then I'm typically there opening night, and I mm-hmm. get to see the show at least three times, generally once a week during a three-week run, and standing at the back of the house and watching an audience be moved. And again, in our space where you're so close and you don't have to overact, you can just be, you can experience. And, you know, I, I like to tell people that when they work in this space, stop for a moment, hold your breath, and look at the audience. And when you hold your breath, the whole audience holds their breath with you. So you are really experiencing moments because you're so intimate Mm -hmm. and you're not, you can rely on just being. And that is incredibly um, appealing, incredibly immersive for audiences when they come to the space. So we've we've been the beneficiary of a number of awards over the years from the New Hampshire Theater Awards. Um, And I like to say that in some ways, we do good work. We have mm-hmm. really great producers working in the space, and we're very fortunate that some of these producers have gone so have done so well here and in other places that they've moved on and sure. do bigger things elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. In fact, that's so, kind of the goal. Yeah. But in some ways, it's cheating because people are so close <laughs> yeah. that you know you are there. You you are so intimately a part of the production, even though you're not on stage, you're not doing the role. Right. It it just feels more. You're part of present. the energy. Yeah. You're part of the energy yeah. when it's when it's like that. And that we want to continue that. We want to be able to provide artists those types of experience for immediate feedback. We just had a a run of uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf, which was one of the finest pieces of theater I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Not just not at Hatbox. Ever. Wow. And in part, it's because the actors were fully immersed in the world. They they did the work and then they got out. They let get the work out of the way. They mm-hmm. just inhabited the world of the characters and the, the let it live. Yeah. And audiences, boy, they just came out and sucked it right. It's up. a great piece, right? It is. Put it together, but it's and you so have hard. A winner. You yeah. do a strong, very hard piece like that. It's easy to not. You know, do the depth. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. not find the full reality of yeah, it. Yeah, so. absolutely. So no, we're very excited about what's come. We have very grateful to uh, Concord Capital Region audiences uh, coming out and supporting efforts. Uh, you can find tickets online at hatboxnh.com. Yes. And they is, are very reasonable. They are very reasonable. Unfortunately, we haven't raised our tickets since before the pandemic, and we are going to be raising them in the fall. Mm-hmm. So uh, through August, they're still at the the straight play. The highest ticket price is $22 yeah. per ticket. For musicals, the highest ticket price is $25 a ticket. So, right. And again, there are very limited seats available. You can see the seats that you want to purchase online. Good. It's a very easy experience. And again, if you want to volunteer or participate with Hatbox, if you want to get some information about producing a show at Hatbox Theater, you can go and look at the For Producers tab at our website and click on the Pitch Night tab, and that'll explain our entire business model. Heck, if you're another community <laughs> listening to this and you want to build a theater just like Hatbox Theater, we give it all 
all up right on the website, how it all works so that everybody understands what's happening and what's going on. Right. Well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? No. If you're a new, if you're another company, it's great information. It's good to learn from what's there. And again, yes. we work very hard to try to help you do the best work that you can. That's um, awesome. That's the goal. So um, hatboxnh.com. Yep, hatboxnh.com is the best way to reach us. And in fact, um, I'm going to reiterate what you've heard from probably the Capital Center for the Arts. If you're interested in buying tickets, this is the only official place to get tickets for Mm hatboxnh.com. If you find them listed somewhere else on the internet, do not buy them there. We do not resell tickets through anyone else. And I know that several of the venues in the state have had problems with people who go and buy tickets at two, three, four times the price of the actual tickets had they gone to the Capital Center for the Arts or whatever. Right. Tupelo Music Hall has had the same problem. That's been one of the real benefits for me personally uh, to come out of the pandemic is it really has broadened kind of my relationships with lots of the other organizations Good. in the state. And it put us into a place where we had to talk the business of show. Mm-hmm. And it really helped us kind of uh, have a much deeper connection to each other Absolutely. so that we can all succeed. Well, everybody can grow from that. Absolutely. So Hatbox Theater is 270 Loudon Road. That's hatboxnh.com. You get your tickets right on online. Andrew Pennard, founder and artistic director of Hatbox, thank you so much for being with us today here at Artful Living. Jane Cormier, your host, and we'll sign off on another great segment. We hope you'll join us next time. WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM Concord, and 101.9 FM in Manchester. Have a great day.